This is a HeadGum Podcast. Oh, hello. Just another episode of Enemies. I am Lisa Traeger, your host. I am so amazed that I get to meet people who listen and like my podcast. It makes me feel good. So thanks so much. Happy to have you here. And I'm so sorry for the people who've heard me talk about the Backstreet Boys concert in person, on social media, on um, That's Messed Up, at the live shows, in the st- I mean, at, at the comedy store, everywhere. I'm so sorry, but it was one of the best moments of my fucking life to see the Backstreet Boys crushing it, dance moves, singing, fireworks, the Hollywood Bowl, Nicole Richie was there. And to see them just giving us hit after hit after hit was something I feel like that's why my family moved to America. I've really had some big moments like that where I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This is why I am here. Um, I am back on my bullshit, smoking too much weed in the day, but we're doing what we can to survive. Um, I will be showering soon. So a round of, of applause for me. Thank you so much. And I'm here in Skokie, Illinois. I have an enemy. It is... I mean, I don't know. Is it greatreservations.com, getaroom.com, or priceline.com? Or are they all owed together? But um, their website makes it seem like you're booking direct from the hotel, but you're not, and I should have known better. Uh, but I was doing it on my phone. It said the name of the hotel. I did it. It's a fake site. And then afterwards, um, they showed me that I had $800 in fees. They charged me an additional $800 in fees. Are you fucking kidding me? So shout out to to Robert at the Hilton Companies. You killed it. And he contacted the website, canceled the reservation. I am getting a full refund and I'll keep you posted on if I get it. Obviously, this is, um, you know, this happens to everyone. Also, oh my God, my mom's friend gave her social security and credit card information to someone in the internet. And it's like, well, you're done. You're toast. You're toast. They have what they need. Like they're trying to shut down her computers and accounts. And it's like too late, bitch too late i mean hopefully someone flagged social she doesn't even speak english and her son is on the east coast and i don't think he's like an active son like he's not being helpful yelled at her i would yell at her too i'm yelling about her publicly on this podcast i don't even you know know this woman but don't give your social security number to anybody unless you call them and you know it's american express like i just can't also super annoyed with people like bitch can i have my money rihanna bitch better have my money why are you taking so long to pay me pay me bitch pay me bitch so i'm annoyed with anyone that drags their feet on giving me my motherfucking money that is owed to me so just quoting the greats and wanting to get that out there. Um, also, Lisa, I am my own worst enemy. Stop spending money you don't have. Stop living like you're rich. Save. I don't know. Like all of a sudden, a bunch of people in my life like that. I didn't uh, that. I, I just there. I, I went to London and all these people have bought homes. I went to a friend's home and I'm like, fuck, what am I doing? Everyone. But I like the life I live. Like, I don't know what to do. I have to. It's just the fine line, and I've said this before, of like accepting yourself and your flaws slash growth and becoming a better person. Like, when do you know to do what? And I guess you just have to like yourself on this like psychotic journey of ours. I don't know. Uh, It's 
it's too much to handle at times, but I hope all of you are living your dreams. I'm going to go fucking boost a post on Instagram, uh, make a TikTok, a promo video, slap some things together so people come to my show. Like, what the fuck? It is so annoying. I... I hope I don't plateau in my life. I just like miss the days where I was just like, yeah, do call. And I do just do comedy. But I feel like the additional like begging of attention outside of just doing the shows. But whatever it is, what it is better than, you know, having to set an alarm. For, I do set early alarms. Listen, my life's great. I'm done bitching. I'm my own worst enemy. We're going to get started. I want to keep these tight. I don't want to be some self-indulgent monster babbling and babbling, but also I keep meeting people. They're, you're obsessed. Do you like the sound of my voice? You're jerking it nonstop. It's like so tough. Like I can lay in this hotel all day and be satisfied, but I have to visit my parents. I have to see the niece and nephew. They sleep too long. Do I just go to the mall? I like, it's like, I want to appear he's everyone but also like lay down just lay down um okay so i just checked a text how fucking rude in the middle of an intro that i'm doing for a podcast that you're spending your precious precious incredible time and like that's how addicted i am to my phone i'm reading texts okay so this week's guests we have a musician yes a rapper can you believe um we're talking obviously we get personal i want to get personal i think he was maybe caught off guard but vulnerable open and ready to chat we talked to his co-producing co-hosting partner for or, um, his Comedy Central show that I won't say the name out loud of, but what are you going to do? But Baron Vaughn is, um, you know, the person. So I asked him questions about working with a friend and a person you've known for a long time. And now we have the counterpart of that. And also someone that's informing me on famous hip hop hip hop pop 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 pop. Am I the grandma from an Adam Sandler movie? Okay. So he um, breaks down hip hop beefs for me. Hip hop beef, as in beef, where's the beef? So that's amazing. We're getting hip hop tutorials, um, cool stories, things I didn't know about, and also personal stuff, music stuff, our own stuff. Um, I don't know. I loved this chat. We could have talked forever. Truly, we were getting shut off like constantly, like, please stop talking um, because we could have kept going such an interesting person so engaging i was thrilled you know taking a chance on me we don't know each other um and the fact that he agreed to come on and give me give me some deep deep goodness funny cool i don't know i i loved it so get excited for open mic eagle Open Mike Eagle, thank you for doing this. Of course. I've I've heard your name plenty of times. I feel like uh on uh Bennington, maybe. Do you, do you are you a Bennington guy? That's they're they are my heart. I love those people. I love them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. they really make New York comics feel special being able yeah. to go on that show. Yeah, they're they're just really kind. Uh I met them back when it was still Ron and Fez, and I like I made a song for them and they liked it. So like they have me on all the time and I just go up there and, and try not to be nervous. No, they're so good. He's so good at um, interviewing. He's giving me good advice throughout the years about that too. Yeah. I've been listening to your music all morning. Okay. That's good. I hope, oh uh, man, I hope you picked the right stuff. There's a lot to choose from. 
Uh, I it could have it could have made your morning a little nutty if you picked the wrong. No, thing. I, what would be wrong? Which ones would be wrong? You think? Are there oh, songs man. of yours you don't like? There's songs of the, okay, so they're all my children, right? But I have some favorite children and some least favorite children. Some of my children were born too fast, like they weren't cooked in the oven long enough, you know. So they're a little wonky, you know. They're not quite what they were meant to be. Uh, some of the early ones, especially, I'm like, Ugh. yeah, but your ears gonna catch things that my ears would not. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was just enjoying my morning because I mostly listen to pop girls. That's okay. where I live. Okay. So um, to get me genre jumping is hard. And I was like thoroughly really like, oh, fun. Well, that's good. I certainly don't mean to shit on any enjoyment that you had in my music. I just I don't know how to take a compliment. So um, that's where <laughs> I ended up going. I can't either. That's what's like a sick life about being a performer, I think, is. I want to be recognized or complimented. And then as soon as it happens, it's a nightmare. And I it don't want to be inside of it. But if it didn't happen, I'd be mad too. I'd see exactly. It's either recognize me or I don't exist. And when I'm recognized, I don't necessarily know how to wear that, you know? Yeah. Or you like when you do get the compliment, like maybe, you know, it is good. And then you're just like, okay, thank you. Like, and then they keep doing it and you seem like cocky, but it's like, yeah, I, I, I believe in myself too, and now you're making me uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> what do you do? Like, talk about your own shit. Like, if you yeah. want to make a lasting impression with someone that you're into or a fan of, bring something to the table. You know what? I think uh, us people who are creatives that have any manner of uh, success, I guess is the word, we need to like start a big community manual for how to exist as human beings. Because I feel like a lot of our experiences put us in places where there's no guidebook for how you behave. We just had an etiquette expert on. And oh. one of the um, kind of tenets that I really appreciated was like honesty and courtesy. So you want to make ev like you think etiquette is exclusionary, but it's it is based on the idea of everyone being comfortable around you. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just like practicing relating in that situation if someone comes you go thank you so much where do you let you know like i try to immediately give them attention about them and then some people can hang and chat and some people are annoying and then you can go i'm out <laughs> i think it's the honesty part that gets tricky though because like you said like you might really enjoy what you do but it's hard to be honest about that with people because like you said you can sound you could you could sound really obnoxious really fast but it can be your truth, you know? Yeah, I always go, oh, yeah, I had fun up there. That's what I say. <laughs> I go, that was fun. Yeah, That's that is I a good know. one. It's a way to, make, way to make it sound impersonal. Be, oh, impersonal. Impersonal. Well, like, to, to not make it about you. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. that's a more comfortable way for people to engage with the idea that you enjoyed your own show. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I'm really quick to kick people out of shows as well, um, because I'm trying to have a good time. And if you're ruining yeah. that for me, I need you out of there. Wow. Um, I've only had to kick people out of a show a couple of times, but it's very different with music because like, OK, if you're doing stand up, it's really there should be nobody speaking except you. Right. Mm -hmm. So it should be pretty quiet when you're not talking. So it's pretty easy to be like, hey, this person's disrupting everything like at a music show. A third of the room at any time is talking, you know, and that's fine because it's a show and you don't expect people to, you know, be be quiet. So people are talking, but then also people are singing. 
Yes, but they can be singing when they're not supposed to. And typically that's okay too. You just have to be okay with it. So the only actual problem in a live music show is like, please, please don't get on the stage. Please don't. Cause then I'm concerned for my safety. Cause, cause that's always, that's always the prelude to something else. Like they're never getting on stage just to stand there and, and look handsome or pretty. Like they're going to do something else. And I'm, I'm never interested in finding out what that next step is. But if it's just like a cute girl who wants to dance on the stage, or is no, that never I'm, the case? I'm all right. I'm all right. Because either she's on drugs and she's going to fall or she's got a boyfriend who's going to or, or girlfriend who's going to feel some kind of way and it's going to be a problem then or a problem later. I don't need any of that. Uh, th- it's, a, it's a firm boundary for me. I'd, I'd rather not engage. Although. I'll say this. I used to do a thing at the end of my shows when I was a, a little pup starting out. Uh, I had the song where I freestyle. And at the end of my set, I would invite anybody who wanted to freestyle to come on stage and freestyle with me. And that invited all sorts of chaos into my life. And I very quickly stopped doing it. Yeah, you never want to give them a mic. Because w- no. were they bad or they wouldn't know when to get off? or they... it, was, it was every problem you could imagine. That's, okay. that's the thing. It's because like it was literally anybody who wanted to, whether they were good at it or not, or had any sort of idea of stage etiquette or anything. And I would just say, hey, yeah. No, no, no. But I do love those videos when like Lady Gaga or someone brings someone up and then they slay it so good. That's good. That always when like Rihanna's like shocked, you know, like makes like a face when someone sings back at them like those moments. I enjoy seeing them on the Internet. That's nice. I mean, I guess if you have security, you can make different choices. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm going to shift this a little. You know, we had Baron Vaughn on the pod. He's a very good friend, of course. Well, and we did talk about, you know, your TV show, working together as friends, suddenly being bosses, having a production. Um, We got his perspective on everything. I would love to know, you know, what it's like to be in charge with a friend and those dynamics and conflict within ideas and the bosses and running a show. Um, You know, I did enjoy that me and him were friends before we started doing that. Um, And I think that since we'd already been doing a live show together that had some element of production to it too, we kind of knew how to work with each other too. So within being friends and having some experience with knowing like how to communicate with each other, what our strengths and weaknesses were, all that sort of thing. I think it made it easier to take on a little bit of a bigger challenge. Like I, I'm glad that me and him were friends versus me and him not having been friends and then being put in that position. Cause I think it would have been a whole lot more difficult than, um, it, you know, it, it, I, I still, I'm still recovering from that, um, incident occurrence. I don't know what you call it. What do you call it when you had a TV show and you don't now? I don't know what you call it. Um, yeah, there should be a word for it, I guess, especially here in Hollywood. Yes. I don't know. Life. It's just life. Well, I look at our line of work. Well, I don't know if it's the same with I don't know if you want to make more shows, if you like music, I guess it depends what you want. I'm like. A career is like this. Yes. And it's just like one step within a career to learn. And then that section is done and you enjoyed Mm -hmm. it, hopefully. And then it's on to the next. Unless, I guess, it seems like it was a heartbreaking thing. 
it it was it was heart lifting and then heartbreaking uh it yeah there i think that one day me and him should either do like a tell-all podcast series yes behind the music a, yeah because it was like there was some serious crazy shit that went down like a few times where it's like i tell people the story and they're like no that didn't happen <laughs> like yeah it did yeah it did and was it racism included or um, other? I would I wouldn't say racism. I would say um I'll say this. We made a show that had a very loaded title. And that low <laughs> Yeah, that's why I didn't say it. <laughs> no, I saw, I saw, I peeped that. I peeped that. We talked about that show. You had to <laughs> But uh, and and, I, and 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 that's the whole thing is that you know to us that's not that's, that's not an, an offensive word, but um, the word and the title was tricky because we didn't quite understand how different pockets of people felt about that word. So like we didn't understand the boundaries that we were pushing necessarily with different groups of people. So like. We just got put in a situation where we we had to defend ourselves a lot when we weren't prepared to do that. And that happened internally, externally, like it, it was it was a lot. And and I still find myself trying to understand it all uh, a couple of years removed at this point. Yeah, because even though I didn't want to say the title, I get it. I get what it is. It's like the new group of people that are going to be stars, right? Yeah. And it's also based on this, uh, this book that came out in the Harlem Renaissance called the new Negro, which was literally about like, you know, people after reconstruction, like, you know, when, when black people were still trying to convince white people that we were like fully functional human beings. And like this book kind of collected um, a lot of the writings and poetry um, of the time and like presented, hey, this is us. We do shit. Fuck with us. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it, and it was a kind of similar thing that we were doing with the show was like, you know, comics, musicians. And, and, and at the time, we also planned to have visual artists involved. And, and then we had writers and, you know, we were just trying to present it like, hey, you all still think of black entertainment as this kind of monolith. But look at all the different shit that we do, you know, and, and that. That was the spirit of it. What we quickly learned was that uh, all of that definition was not going to come across to people quickly. Well, because we're uneducated about that. So, like, I didn't even know about this reference. And if everyone had a collective knowledge of that book and that time period, then it would have been like, oh, I get what you're doing here. And so here's the interesting thought that goes along with that. And this is kind of what smacked us a little bit, too. So it became clear that most people don't know that reference, which is fine. But then it's like, wait a minute. If Comedy Central wasn't aware of that reference, like what were they into this title for? You know what I'm saying? Like it it was those and we would have experiences that that gave us insight into why certain choices were made. And a lot of that shit was mind blowing. Okay. And so one day we will get a tell-all. I mean, you know, if I can figure out a way to make money off of it, I probably will. That's very much... Do you, did you see the documentary The Imposter? 
I didn't. What is that? I don't know. No, it's what. So a boy goes missing in Texas, and then years later, they get a call from Spain, and it's the boy, and he's alive, and he has this wild story, and he goes back to live with the family, but he's like a thirty-year-old man. This is not mm-hmm. that kid. It is apparent. It is not this kid. But then he realizes the family knows it's not him, but they still let him live in that house, meaning they fucking killed that kid. Holy shit. You know what I mean? Because even the (laughs) FBI and stuff were like, oh, like, this isn't him. And they were like, leave us alone. And that's when the the imposter himself was like, oh, I'm scared. I can't be here. Whoa, that's wild. (laughs) And so that's what came to my head when you talked about that, where like you got in thinking the reference was clear and then all of a sudden you're like wait 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 wait!" (laughs) (laughs) they killed that negro yeah exactly yeah and the network it's frustrating and i don't know if you guys had this or if it was like unapologetically black in like a, a real way but lauren ashley smith i saw her on a panel at the paley center and she was writing on Robin Thede's show for BET and she said it was the first time in her life where she didn't have to translate anything for white people Mm-hmm. in her writing career like she just got to like write for black people without translating it for a white culture and i was like that kind of changed my life hearing that we were fortunate we had a uh, like the two execs that worked on our show one of them was black and i think that made a lot of a difference in in not having to do the complete translation thing all the time i mean but even within that like because me like me and baron alone we have two different senses of humor you know, um, and if you add a third black person to that mix in case in that case, the exec, well, then there's another, you know, there's a whole nother perspective. So it wasn't necessarily translation we had to deal with in terms of cultural stuff. But I think we had to do a lot of translation in terms of sense of humor and and, and like having to explain what we think is funny um, and why, like in a way that we weren't necessarily prepared for either. Interesting, but you guys meld together well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, um, I think me and Baron have a lot in common in terms of upbringing, background, areas of interest, like a lot of shit that that creates a lot of common ground. But like, um, if I were to make a joke versus him making a joke, typically they're going to be coming from kind of two different angles within our common interest. You know? Yeah. And are you a single man? Or are you? Uh taken do you are you a father what is your home life i am a divorced father with a girlfriend okay fantastic and does everyone get along in terms of co-parenting new girlfriend all of that uh me and his mother get along great as well as can be expected um and my girlfriend has not been integrated into the situation at all okay i'm a, I'm a hardcore compartmentalizer i'm learning to get over it but baby steps Absolutely. How old is your child? 13. Oh, wow. Now, is there a new phase in life where there's like conflict within your child's life that you are like teen life, puberty, junior Mm -hmm. high? Do you hear stories from school that get you pissed off or the advice that you have to give or you think about your own time? I think about my I reflect on his youth versus my own a lot. Um trying to maintain some sense of perspective and how new of a world it is he's living in. I try to just understand everything that's happening and be aware of everything that's happening. Uh, this is the time of testing boundaries. So like, 
uh, coming from being a very, I'd say sheltered kind of kid. Now he like wants to take the bus places and I'm like, mm, okay. Yeah. Like, um, that's more of a challenge for me than it is for him. Uh, he can read real, real well, you know, he, he can read a street sign. Like he knows what to do. And when I think about my childhood, by the time I was his age, I was taking two buses and two trains to school every day. And I'm, and it makes me think about, damn, my, I was living with my grandparents and they just like, you know, they were cool. Like they were okay with that. They were, I, it just felt like such a different time. Like, cause the thought of him being alone with, with strangers on a public vehicle, it's just like weird to me because he didn't grow up that way. You know, all that shit is what I'm constantly having to square my perspective on and try to find a way to like have my feelings, but also not be in them so that I can let him be a little person, which he's trying to do suddenly. Are you going to spy on the bus? Get a uh, seat in the back, drive behind it? Nah, but you know, I keep, I keep, I keep his location. <laughs> that you is know, good. I keep a pin on him. No, it's so interesting. I didn't think you'd go there, but the time is different. And that's like, I guess a cliche thing to say, but I was out in the world alone throughout junior high and high school, yeah. just like on a bicycle at the mall, like someone said, I was out. Yeah, me too. Like I would, I would go to school and sometimes I would just hang out after school for like hours mm -hmm. and then come home and it was just, it was okay. Like, you know, it, it, I don't, it, it, it boggles the mind how different it was. Yeah. I like, guess this is a really, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I'm not done wrapping my head around it. It's like an everyday thing for me to try to like bridge that. Yeah. Cause in some ways they're independent, but the fall it's like the people that had freedom are raising their children with absolutely no freedom. Yeah. No, none. Because I was a backup nanny. I would like um, do backup childcare. That was my day job for a really long time. And we had one girl and me, the mom and the grandma, we were all getting her ready for dance. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this kid will never be an independent person. How yep. they should be getting ready for dance on their own. What is happening here? Yeah, I, 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 I get concerned sometimes that I haven't given him enough, uh, you know, life skill kind of independence kind of ingenuity uh you know i think i think we're raising a little lazy person but uh well yeah i never thought about this but online you know the people that are like fuck all the trophies like first place learn how to lose participation trophies are lame someone was like yeah but you brought up the trophies mm -hmm. we were kids so like <laughs> you're blaming us for these participation trophies that you were giving us mm-hmm yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. He's always done basketball and they didn't do much of that. They didn't do the participation trophy thing. Like if you lost, you didn't get shit. And I was like, OK, <laughs> it's that's good. Like, what it is. You have to learn how to lose hanging out with people that don't know how to lose or take a note or um, I think sports teaches a lot of good skills yeah. for your life. Yeah, he played pretty high level kids basketball or whatever. And some of those kids end up going to the league, you know, and, and they're not being coddled. They're not being coddled. If, they, if there's a kid um, on the other team kicking y'all ass and y'all just getting y'all ass kicked, you know, and that kid's probably going to go be, you know, division one somewhere and getting a scholarship and maybe y'all aren't getting that, but they do get the experience of playing with people who are really good and 
like after they're like after they're like six or seven years old, they stop with the mercy rule. You know, they they let it happen. If you lose by fifty, you lost by fifty. So it's just another fake outrage thing that isn't real or affecting anyone's lives that people pretend to be upset about. Well, I would assume that in some cases that is still that is happening in some soccer leagues and some, you know, like it's a little bit more like parent controlled and maybe a little bit less of a because these sports that we had him participating in this shit we had to pay for we're not paying for coddle this is a high-end league i mean it, it costs money and we had to drive far so we wasn't going for the bullshit like you know something needs to be happening here oh my god how far is the drive to practice practice wasn't far but the games we have to like be there at eight like deep into orange county like like an hour and a half away like on a saturday and then the part that would really be frustrating is that he'd be in a tournament to where they know that the fir- what time the first game is they don't know what time the second game is it could either be at 10 o'clock or it could be at like two o'clock and then maybe they won the two o'clock game so they have to go out there again on sunday and boom there's no way to make a plan to like have a life. There's just no way to do it. You're just subject to whatever happens at this gym two hours away. And are you friends with the other parents? Some of them. Some of them are fucking annoying. I'm sure. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at like, let's all be friends because our kids are doing the same shit. I'm not, because I really, I, I'm the kind of person that I just don't want to know most people. And so, like, if we're if we're only knowing each other because, like, our relatives are doing something similar, like, there's not going to be much to talk about. You know, we're going to end up talking about the weather and shit. I'm, I'm OK. So what do you do for these hours? I read comic books. OK. You keep yeah, it to yourself I, and you read comic books. That's what I prefer to do. And then people obviously try to talk to you. Some. Yeah. But people learn quickly that I'm not I'm not the I'm not the guy. Do you get really into the games? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially when he's in, when he's out, though, he's on the bench. I'm like, oh, my God, kill me now. I want to go home. Yeah, you just love your kid. Yeah, that's and that's the only one I love. Yeah, that's the only one. The rest of them, they're cool. But there's only one I love. Well, that's my like new kind of it's not a, a new like I'm trying to do bits about it and stuff. But the idea when people are like being a parent changes you. I'm just like such a better person. It's like, no, you're not. You're still a dick. <laughs> You're just nice to your kid. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you actually hate everyone more because you love your kids so much. It's true. So you've actually become a worse person in society. Yep. And I, it just like bog, like, you know, I have a lot of friends having fresh kids right now and they're just like, oh, it's just, it's so different. It's so different. I'm like, You're still a bitch. You're mm-hmm. still superficial and you're still <laughs> mean to your husband. What has changed? What has changed? Is you just post they're... more about your kid. True. And there's one person they have unconditional positive regard for. Yes. And if you're able to have that regard for others, then I would be able to say you are a better person. You've changed, but it doesn't happen. Do you think do you think that somebody's a better person if they go from zero people that they care about to one? Do you think that makes them any better? Well, I don't know if you know that you don't care about people until you have your kid. I understand. I think I care about people. And then, um, yeah. I care. Yeah. Don't you have nieces or nephew? Like, you, but now you have this kid. So you care about them more, but you cared about people. Right. right. Cared about your grandparents. 
Right. Right. I guess. Yeah. It, 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 it's something, you know, what really changed for me when I had a kid is that I, I couldn't watch media where something happened to a kid. Like that was the main change. Like I could, I got like my, my connection to the idea of, of being a parent was such that I couldn't watch anything fucked up happen to like, I couldn't watch it. Like I, I couldn't watch the first season of stranger things. Cause in that first episode, fucking kid disappears. I'm, I'm turning this shit right off. I am not interested. So you're not watching euphoria. Um, no, <laughs> no, I have not. And I don't, that's the thing. I don't like children that much. Like I like, like, yeah, I like mine. I don't like children. It took me a long time to watch as much as I enjoy comic books. It took me a long time to watch the new Spider-Man movies because they were set in high school and I just don't care. Um, does your son have friends that you Maybe. like? Uh, yes, some more than others. But now it's to the point where I don't trust any of them. They've all like shown you their true colors or you just no, don't trust people overall. They haven't shown me nothing. They're just to, at the age now where I know no matter how nice you are, you're on some bullshit when y'all are alone. I know. I know it. Like, cause when you're like, when you're a little boy, you're a little 13 year old boy. You don't want to be friends with kids who are actually nice. That fucking sucks. <laughs> like y'all got to have some secret crazy bullshit like that's that's where real fun is when you're 13 so i know they're all they're all up to something they're all up to something i just don't know what um are there some that you hate and it's tough to grit your teeth or does your kid know that you don't like certain friends no i don't think because there's there's nobody that's done anything uh super egregious um so i don't think that's an issue i i do think that i am like I'm going to say this out loud. I am. He. Uh, okay. So his school environment is mostly white people. Uh -huh. And I'm a little prejudiced against the white people. And so, like, I think I'm a little nicer to his black friends. I mean, that I makes really, sense. I want that in his life. And, and the odds are just not with that, you know. Yeah. And it's like, um. We've talked about this with other people on the show. Like, you always have to be ready for a white person to fail you. <laughs> God damn, that one, that one hit. That one hit. <laughs> and so you're, you know, it's probably like, fuck, I know they're going to say or do something fucked up and my son will be upset. Yeah, and I just, I, I think, and this is what, it, I think a lot of it comes down to this, like, it's not a pure prejudice just based on fucking skin. Like, it's also like this knowledge that in some very specific ways, their lives are going to be different than his. And in ways that I am very aware of and he is not very aware of. And so some of the things that he wants to do is stuff that they're doing and it's stuff that they can do because they're in a different situation, you know, like all that taking a bus stuff and like in like th their his friends get a lot of rope from their parents. Um, it's friends, families make good money and, you know, um, a lot of them live really close to the school that he goes to so they can wander all around the neighborhood where, you know, I live 20, 25 minutes away, like 
if something happens to him, it's different for me than if something happens to one of his friends when his mom or dad could just kind of walk a couple blocks over and see what's going on, you know? And like those sorts of realities are always present in my mind. And I hate that they are in my mind when I see him with his friends. Um, but they are, you know, that's the, that's, that's the, the stuff that goes along with being a parent. Yeah, just constant worry. And it doesn't go away. My parents are so desperate for me. It's really like, get a life, you know? Get a life. They're just like obsessed. Yeah, well, you know, my, my parents stopped because they just realized at some point they just have no idea what I'm doing. They just don't know. They can't wrap their heads around it. My dad to this day, he can't call me a rapper. He can't do it. Why? Because there's he's got the classic associations of what that. He's, I, I spent the first five years of my career with him doing stuff like texting me if I know Busta Rhymes or, you know what I'm saying? Like if I, if I, if I know the, like if I know them personally, if I know the Wu-Tang Clan person, can't wrap his head around the fact that I do that, for, but I'm also not like super famous. Yeah. And I also don't dress like he thinks a rapper would dress. And I'm also still like a nice person. Like he just can't wrap his head around and I think it I know for a while he used to call him to his friends he used to call me a spoken word artist that's bad it is but to him it's better that's because they're wild. on poetry jam saying smart things you know and not like blinged out and murderous like he thinks rapper yeah that's probably how my like my parents um really hate all my tattoos because they have like a connotation to what tattoos mean, but right. that just, that's not what it, no one, th those connotations don't exist with tattoos anymore. Exactly. Exactly. But they, everything, everything still exists in the mind of boomers. Not much has changed. That's why, yeah, it's really hard getting old. But in terms of hip hop, have you ever had beefs within your, like, no, that's great. No, but no it's not. Because that's part of why I don't exist properly. Because I don't have a I'm supposed to have a beef. I actually just put that in a song recently. But you don't care enough, it seems like. You're apathetic to so many people. No, there's people I hate. Okay. They don't know it. They just don't know it. <laughs> like the only person I've ever like publicly said anything was Little Dicky. I don't I I I think there's something about the idea Even more because I don't I think he can rap. I just I think he has a little too much fun. Like I don't appreciate it. You know, like, I don't I don't think that's cool. Like, I think it's too much struggle out here. I didn't realize Lil Dicky was a real rapper. I thought he just was a TV character. So he was a rapper and then now he has a TV show and you just think he needs to stop having so much fun. I think so. I think, you know, I think his uh, his his existence in the rap world is this kind of uh, visual real time piece of evidence of white privilege. And it just annoys me, you know, and and um uh, but, I, you know, I, I can be honest and say that it annoys me because I'm broke and I feel like I shouldn't be if he's not, you know. Absolutely. What are the reasons you have beefs or what are the reasons you hate the other people? You just don't have public beefs. But what is like the commonness between all the people that you do hate? I, you know what? <laughs> the funny thing is, I think it usually comes down to some form of professional jealousy one way or the other. When I feel like these people have something I deserve for <laughs> some reason. <laughs> 
even though I may or may not be working towards that thing. That's usually what 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 makes my heart turn cold when it comes to uh, other rappers. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Self-aware. Sure. And that's why I'm also quiet about it, because it doesn't make me look good if I come out and hate on people because they're successful. Yeah, I I do the opposite. There are people like instead of being jealous, I just become their number one fans. Really? And you 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 what are you you saying you do actually like them or you don't actually like them? I do, and if I wasn't a fan, I would be so jealous. So might as well just like sit front row and like it. Damn. Okay. Wow, that sounds like really good for managing your own ego. Um it just sounds like something I'm not as I'm not sophisticated enough to do. I don't know if it's sophistication. It's just like, I don't like when I feel jealous, right? Mm -hmm. And I know why I'm jealous of this person. I'm thinking of a specific person. I know why I'm jealous of them, but I have to work on having those qualities within myself. And it's like, they have nothing to do with it. And I'm I'm obsessed with what they do. Mm. And if I wasn't such a fan, I would be spiraling. (laughs) I would be spiraling. (laughs) I think think that might be what I'm best at is the quiet spiral. The quiet spiral. I think that might be my my def- one of my defining traits. But do you have someone in your life you do openly talk about like fuck that person? Like, are you a shit talker? Um, am I a shit talker? Within my close friends, I could be a shit talker. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you do have some people that know like exactly who you hate. Yes, absolutely. And you don't. You can be petty or jealous or. Oh that yeah, yes, because... I am. Yes, yeah. In my in my friend group, I can be as shitty as I actually am. Um, <laughs> but I just I, I don't I don't broadcast it. But yeah. Okay, now you're a very interesting person. So I'm glad we got to chat. But I did want to learn a little bit about famous hip hop beefs. Oh the yeah, ones that you know culturally shifted the world or something like that (laughs) sure yeah i'm excited to hear about these you know there's there's so many different ways to approach it right because like like the most famous hip-hop beef is the one that ended up with both guys dead and like that you talk about culturally shifting things like that in itself that shit stopped beef for like 10 years solid because like Nobody wanted it to get to that point because the history of beef before that, um, it had been there had been incidents of violence. Like they used to have these um, these big like conventions. Like they had one called Jack the Rapper. They had one called How Can I Be Down. Like these were basically these big conventions where uh, labels would be doing campaigns for whatever big act was coming out, or new artists would be trying to meet labels and do showcases and get signed and all of that. But people who had beef would wait for these things and they would bring their entourage and they'd wait to see the other person's entourage and they'd get in these big brawls. <laughs> and it's like at the, you know, DC convention center, like the bunch of fucking rappers boxing in the hallway. Um, and, you know, so the, the, the beefs that are, that are most interesting for me are the ones where it just ended up being music. Um, you know, maybe a couple of punches thrown, but didn't didn't get too out of control. And and so like the classic ones I think about, one of them is um NWA and Ice Cube. NWA being the, you know, seminal gangster rap group. They basically invented it. And this was Ice Cube, MC Ren, Easy E, DJ Yella coming straight out of Compton and all of that. And what we didn't know, even though Easy E said it in one of the songs. 
is Ice Cube was basically writing everybody's raps. I don't think he was writing MC Ren's raps, but he was writing all of his own and he was writing Easy E's. And, and that's a lot of heavy lifting in the group. And something was happening with the contract. They were signed by this guy named Jerry Heller, who was famous sleaze bag type manager dude. He wanted to rene renegotiate. So he got what he thought was the appropriate amount of royalties from all the money they was making. And they told him no. And so he left the group and they started taking shots at him. And he just went at all of them on a song called No Vaseline, which is uh, probably more than lightweight homophobic, if I think about it long <laughs> enough. Um, I want to write it down so I can listen to it later because yeah. I like that title. Yeah, No Vaseline. It was basically about how Jerry Heller was fucking all of them financially, but he took the metaphor very far, <laughs> very, very far. Um, and, you know, that was, it was one of those really eye-opening songs when it came out because, you know, rap music was kind of new. And so people didn't really know how the business of rap worked at all. So like, you know, rappers are getting signed and, and unaware of like the damage that a bad manager can do or a bad contract. Like all that stuff is kind of common knowledge now. Like you get lawyers and you have people look over stuff, but then people were just taking whatever and, you know, and the fame and the money was so, was so big. They didn't question it. But when you had, you know, this guy airing out his former friends based on the bad deals that, that they had going on, I don't know, it was really kind of eye opening for like all of us rap fans were like, oh, this is, a lot of weird money on the table and a lot of weird deals. And we just don't know shit, really. He basically ended them with that. Like, they still came out with music after that. But since he was like the driving creative force, really, the whole thing anyway, like he turned himself into what he became and they all kind of fell off. And Easy, of course, ended up passing away a few years later. And he was still an exec. But them as artists were basically ended by Ice Cube. By one song. Yeah. And then a, power, a powerful diss track can do that. It can end you. Wow. And it wasn't, and it was just like, you're in a bad deal. Like that just seems like, oh, fuck, let's get a better deal. Like it doesn't, <laughs> seems like he was looking out for them within the diss. Well, yeah, but also presenting them as powerless and victims and, mm -hmm. and sycophants and spineless. And, you know, he, he certainly dragged their names through the mud while educating us all on what business should look like. Damn, Ice Cube. Yeah. Are there other diss tracks that have ended careers like that? There was a battle that ended a career once. This was Busy B and Cool Mo D. This is another classic sort of a battle and it wasn't based on beef but it was based on like the evolution of style of rap music so uh busy b was one of like one of the most entertaining rappers in like the early rapper era where people would come to shows just to hear him get on the mic and do his thing which was you know mostly just party rocking and uh you know like name busy b and i'm here to say a lot like you know what that that old kind of um those old patterns that really used to just rock parties and entertain people a lot of it would be like playing on pop songs and turning them into like rap lyrics and but busy b used to call out other rappers while he was doing that and one time he called out kumo d and kumo d was there and kumo d got on the mic with a more innovative style and just ripped him apart 
and just ripped him apart. He just made him sound obsolete. Like, because Kumo D was up there like rapping complete sentences that weren't like, you know, these these really basic patterns. He turned up the complexity of rap like 15%. And it made all of the old guys sound like dinosaurs. And this was in like the late 80s. And, you know, Busy B was over basically after that. Wow. Okay. What is the next one? These these are like so different than what I imagined too. Oh, yeah. Because probably because I'm keeping it kind of old school. Uh, a new one that was very uh, impactful. I won't say it ended a person, but it certainly changed their trajectory was uh, Drake and Meek Mill. So Meek Mill put out an album that had a Drake feature, I think. I think this is what the story was. And I think that Drake wouldn't come do the video or something like that. Like what I've, one thing I've learned in rap is that, you know, these features where everybody looks like friends cause everybody's on everybody's album. Like a lot of that stuff is highly coordinated and costs a lot of money. And like, if you pay for a feature, you're paying for a feature, you're paying more for a feature if you're expecting them to do the video too. Like it's this whole thing. So either I think Drake wouldn't do the video and Meek Mill got mad about it because for his label, for his campaign, like that seemed as a big deal. Like that, that was something they were probably hoping to be able to depend on to, to push this album. And Meek got on Twitter and was saying something about how Drake doesn't even write his own rhymes. And this was fucking shocking for people. I don't know what year this was like. 12, 2012, 13, 14, something like that. But like, and there's, there's been like, you know, we talked about Easy E writing for Ice Cube, right? Like there's a history in hip hop of people not writing their own shit. But like, there is still this assumption to this day that when you see a rapper up there doing his rhymes, if you see him in a video saying rhymes, like there is this understood sense of authorship. Like you don't even think about it. Like you don't think like, that doesn't sound like he wrote that. No, it doesn't even enter your mind. It's part of the way people engage with rap. When he said this, it it spread like wildfire. It was very fucking controversial. This idea that Drake didn't write his own rhymes and even identified the guy who he was saying helped him. Oh my gosh, I wish I could remember his name right now, but I can't. And this guy, you know, ended up not being able to have a career. But instead of answering back on Twitter, Drake made a diss song that I don't remember the name of the first one, but it was effective. And then the story is, I think Drake was dating Serena Williams at the time. I think Serena Williams was talking to him about her rivalry with, I think it was Maria Sharapova or something and saying that Drake shouldn't wait. He should just hit him again immediately. And so then Drake dropped this song called Back to Back. It was called Back to Back because Drake was doing back to back disses. He wasn't waiting on me to answer. And Drake had this line in his song because Meek at the time was dating Nicki Minaj and they were on a tour where Meek Mill was opening up for Nicki. And Drake had this line that says, is that a world tour or your girl's tour? It's not what she meant when she asked you to open up more. It's amazing. Ended him. It ended him. Like, and, and he's, he's got a career, right? So like he, he was able to get it together. He changed his own narrative after a while, but like, he was the laughing stock for like a year or two after that. But did Drake write those songs? The thought is that he did. Cause that's the thought is that that's why he did it. 
because like he did feel the need to defend himself and he thought that the best way to do it was to write something that was so close you know it, it happened in real time basically like it was like to show him no my pain is deadly um and and it's kind of opened up the conversation now what it means to write a song because Kanye West has had people collaborate with him and we don't know what that means but there's more of an understanding now that like when high level artists get in the studio they might have people in there pitching lines they might have people in there pitching hooks um it's the same as writing a television show right like you might have a host you know at the Oscars you might have the host saying jokes but there might be a whole room full of people writing them uh, and then that person's going to put their own spin on it and personalize it. But a lot of times it's by committee. And and so we're, we've been kind of led to that understanding with like really high level hip hop too, that it's not, you know, even though we might assume as consumers that this is just like this one-to-one relationship that oftentimes stakes are so high that there's collaboration that goes on. What is your personal opinion on that? Um... Just from being an artist, I understand that stakes change, change at all. Like I've never had to face the pressure of, oh my God, I'm the fourth quarter release for this giant record label. And if my album doesn't hit the projections, then like 20 people are going to get laid off. Like I've never had to like face that type of pressure. So I always got to do exactly what I want to do. And in that, there's no need for me to like collaborate with somebody, but on that level, um, I can I could totally get it how you might not want to just put it all on one person. You might want to put some other minds in the room and make sure that you got the best thing possible. We did it uh, on the new Negroes. Like we had songs on there and we had, you know, we had some rappers come in and, and pitch lines for some of the song concepts we had. Like, cause we just, it, it again, in, in that situation, it's not just about how good I can do. It's about how good the show is. And so whatever we could do to put ourselves in a position to make it better, we took advantage of that. I'm just so shocked because in my um, not educated, Drake is corny to me. Mm. Like I didn't, I didn't think that Drake like was hard in any way. He just seems maybe because I watched Degrassi, but like <laughs> I just, um, I do know someone who's had sex with him, and they said it was a good time. So oh, that made me respect him. That's um, fun. She got a nice gift out of it, too. Wow. It's like the A-Rod treatment, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that, then, is that he, he used to send gift baskets or was it? Was oh, I have no Yankee. idea. It was yeah. a nice. Oh, maybe Derek Jeter. Maybe it was Jeter. Yeah, He okay. seems more romantic. Yeah. Is a gift basket romantic? <laughs> no, but maybe. <laughs> no. This gift was nice. This okay, gift good. Was nice. Um, this person was never spoken to again, but a nice, expensive gift in a night of sex. Ain't that something? Well, I, you know, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated, but you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought he was always like so corny, but I guess he is. Um, he, he ruined Meek Mill's career. He did for a while. I mean, they ended up, you know, patching things up a couple years later, but that's, that's happened where the wrong beef with the wrong person saying the, the, the wrong thing at the right time can end you. Absolutely. Any other favorites you'd love to share with us? Another one that I could probably say the person was ended after that, even though they continued just underground, was uh, LL Cool J and Cannabis. Okay, I love LL Cool J. Okay. Now, you think Drake is corny, but you love LL Cool J. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. 
Um, yeah, I saw him at the airport once and I was like, oh, I love what's happening here. And I'm a deep blue sea fan. Oh, deep like blue is my head is like a sharks fan. I think about that all the time. I just just think that is just the most bizarre rap hook that was ever written. Deepest really? Lewis, my head is like a shark's fin. What? <laughs> That's the single? Okay. Oh, man. I just um, love that genre of movie, like a super smart shark. I'm in. <laughs> I like it. A that is, that, is, that is a good elevator pitch. I had never thought about it that way, but it's a super smart shark. You're right. You know what? I'm in. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, a point is dark. I mean, yeah, I guess that little cool J. I should I should revisit my definition of corny, maybe. Well, I, I certainly think they are both fruits of the same tree. Okay. You know, I think LL Cool J was the progenitor for what Drake is now. You know, it's just a modern version. And yeah, so I've never heard of cannabis. So, oh, yeah. And the reason why you've never heard of cannabis is because, OK, so LL used to do this thing where on every one of his albums, he had a posse cut that was kind of kind of like associating with him with all like the up and coming rappers at the time. That's one of his his old techniques. So he never was seen as too old. Right. They'd have a song with him and whoever else is popping. So this one album, he had a song called 4321 and it was LL Cool J. DMX, Method Man, Red Man, and Cannabis. So this is like 98, 99, something around there. LL Cool J famously has a tattoo of a microphone on his arm. Cannabis in his verse says something about asking LL to borrow the mic on his arm to, to, to spit on. And Cannabis is an incredible rapper. Um, one, of, one of like the best like battle type punchline rappers that that had ever lived he was incredible he asked ll to borrow the mic on his arm uh so he can do his verse and like in his, in his rhyme and, and and one thing ll cool j did in all of these songs famously is he would go last he would let everybody else come in record and then he would go last um ll says something in his verse about you don't want to borrow that you want to idolize or something like that like get off my mic on my arm youngin basically and Cannabis, being who he was coming into the game, a young, fiery MC, he took offense to this. And um, he released a diss song to Cannabis called Second Round Knockout. He had Mike Tyson talking on the song. It was the single for his debut album was Second Round Knockout. And he really went at LL. And at the time, people were really impressed. And it really seemed like he kind of scored a blow against a legend, right? So he was all primed to have this career that that seemed promised ahead of him. LL Cool J releases this song called The Ripper Returns, which is terrible as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's not a good song at all. Cannabis had a line in his song that said, um, you say you got skills, 99% of your fans wear high heels. It wasn't a standout line, but LL took that and said, 99% of your fans don't exist which was a good one. And that was the one kind of everybody hung their hat on, on the, um, on that song. Uh, Wyclef got involved weirdly. Cause he was like producing for cannabis at the time. And then Wyclef made this song called what's Clef got to do with it. Cause LL dissed Wyclef in the song as well. But LL not only used the song, he used his industry connections and wait to basically just to make sure that cannabis did not have a career. 
Like, See that I don't love. I don't love when people fuck with someone's money like that. But that's that's the the risk you run though. That's the risk you run. Like that's why it's not always good to take that shot. Because if you're not established, you know, it's it's oftentimes it's not just about the music. It's about what these execs do. It's about what these record labels do and these PR people and you know, can, uh, LL he he pushed all the buttons. He pushed all the buttons and and cannabis career ended up kind of imploding before it even started. I mean, this was also was also went hand in hand with the fact that cannabis's debut album was a mess um, because he was like this rugged battle rapper being produced by Wyclef. So they were making all these kind of like weird pop songs with these angry rap verses. It didn't make any sense at all. But. Um, he played himself that way and then LL helped him play himself and then he's still making records today, but, um, he's done, he, he ended up going down a dark and lonely road and, um, and yeah, that's why you never heard of him because he dissed LL Cool J. Has it ever worked when someone less famous has gone after a more famous person and survived the battle? Um, I want to say yes. And I feel like Eminem, when he first came out, was going after people and and that kind of helped him along. LL Cool J. I mentioned um, Kumo D and Busy B earlier. LL's first real high profile beef was with Kumo D. And he basically obliterated Kumo D on his road to becoming established. And, and that kind of set the tone for how he was going to deal with beef for the rest of his career. Like he was always going to. He was always going to go at people. And and there it is. Um, the big one that I know about is Nikki and Cardi. Oh, yeah. The shoe throwing. <laughs> shoe throwing. I'm a bigger Cardi fan, but I I like them both. Um, what is the history of them? Or is it just because they're two like powerful women? I think I think it, as far as I know, it is just about the fact that like our our collective space uh, has generally only had room for one top woman rapper and and they just got were tired of being compared to each other and arguing over resources and it just bubbled up if there's something more personal than that i don't know about it but like you know it was the same thing with kind of Nicki minaj and Lil kim and Lil kim and foxy brown and like it's just it's it's i think it's just the nature of our society where you know we don't have enough we don't make enough room at the table for women mcs for them to be like a community we we only leave room for one and so they end up fighting each other for who's in that spot and i think it's it's a lot better now like i think the fact that like there's a megan you know what i'm saying like and 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 it, it's not a constant flurry of beef now things are looking more settled it just it appears that we've at least taken that much of a step forward where there's two seats now or maybe two and a half like it's weird musical chairs either way room at the table has there ever been big beefs for a woman the original rap beef for female mcs was roxanne shantae versus the real roxanne this is some more late 80s stuff uh a group called utfo made this song called roxanne roxanne about uh basically the three members of utfo trying to step to this girl and she wasn't giving them no play and then uh they didn't show up for a show with this guy named Mr. Magic and Marley Marl who were like running hip hop at the time. And so they 
basically uh, picked a female rapper and called her Roxanne. Her name was something Shantae and they called her Roxanne Shantae and had her make a diss song about UTFO. And then instead of UTFO answering uh, themselves, they found uh, a female MC and named her the real Roxanne. And so then they just started diss tracks back and forth. Apparently there was like a hundred diss songs. I haven't heard heard them all, but like that's like the original crazy, um, crazy female rap beef was the real Roxanne versus Roxanne Shante. And what about, I have two like, not to be too heteronormative, but have there been uh, dude rappers that f- have, the beef was created because they both wanted the same girl? Drake and Common was kind of like that. Mm. I believe that was around Serena Williams. But see, that, so we've discussed beefs where somebody's gotten ended. We've discussed beef where somebody gets killed. We discussed beefs where we, where we all learn stuff. This was a beef where one person took a shot and the other person completely ignored it. So Love Common, that. yeah, Common was taking shots at Drake and Drake just decided that he was on another echelon and just never responded. And it looked really bad at the time because Common was really going after him. And it's, it's just, it's, it's like, I mean, I love Common. Like Common is a Southside Chicago rapper. Like one of my earliest inspirations made some of, some of the best music I ever heard in my life, but it was bad. It, it, it looked bad that he was going out of his way to diss Drake and Drake never batted an eye. Well, that's what this podcast kind of is, too, where I've been trying to get people I don't like or don't like me and get real enemies on the show. Mm -hmm. And the biggest, most vulnerable part of it all is they could be like, I don't think or care about you. Yeah, I don't care about our beef. It's not at all what I worry about. And I have no interest of talking to you about it. And that is the biggest diss. Not no response. And and walking away. That is exactly why my beefs are all quiet in, in my dark heart is because I know that these people don't know that I exist or certainly don't care whether or not I like them. So there's no point in me saying anything like I that little dicky thing. I actually I tweeted one or two things about him and like, you know, that's it. It's just two tweets and no, you know, no response from anyone. So. It just kind of lets this kind of a reminder, right? Exactly. Yeah, I'm just over here at home. Yeah. Um. Wow. So Drake didn't say anything. Are they friends now? Do you know? I have no idea. He called him a uh, uh, common called him Canada Dry. I thought that was funny. That is funny. Yeah. But ginger ale is delicious. It is. That's like that's the flaw. It sounds like a burn, but <laughs> ginger ale is delicious. That Damn. Is- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he ended the song with that, too. Like, it was the best punchline, but I guess it wasn't because, you know, Ginger Ale has too many fans. So many fans. And yeah, whatever. Um, I am glad that everyone's there. There are less or no violent that ends in death or physical things. It seems like more. Um, did everyone learn or no? No, no, no. There's a lot of people didn't learn. There's a lot. There's a lot of still um, violent beefs in rap. There's still a lot of them, unfortunately. I mean, I think the higher profile people have learned their lesson. But, you know, there's up and comers and, and, and people at different levels of notoriety that still, you know, shooting at each other, sometimes killing each other over rap beef. Yeah, I guess hip hop's not known for going to therapy. 
No, no, we're not. But more and more, more and more we are. Kid Cudi and Kanye, you know, I feel like they both go to therapy and they don't like each other right now. Really? Yeah. Um, Kanye, does he have beefs, I guess, just with Kid Cudi? Well, Drake, he is a oh. burning, burning whatever the opposite of a hard-on is for Drake. Drake doesn't like him, but Kanye hates Drake. And do we know why? We think as consumers that this just started based on like the tides changing and and, and Kanye kind of having to give up the, you know, the hottest rapper alive thing to Drake a few years ago. But then it got complicated around like Kim Kardashian stuff and, you know, and uh, like and, and that's the thing is we don't know, like, but there's been some really weird petty shit that's happened, like. Uh, Kanye had sent Drake some beats at some point and Drake picked the beat out that he liked and Kanye said, cool, I'll hold that for you so you can do a song to it or whatever. And then the next thing Drake heard, um, Kanye put the song out over that beat where instead of rapping, he keeps saying, poop, poop, did he scoop, poop, did he scoop, poop, poop, did he like for like 60 bars. Okay, I've heard that, but I didn't know the context. Yeah. I've so heard that, the poop to disc scoop, but I didn't know what that meant. That was at all. the beat that Drake liked. <laughs> that was the one. Um, and then, so yeah, Drake started taking shots. They started taking shots back. They did recently do um, this kind of like peace, peaceful uh, concert together. Um, it's a couple of months ago. Um, this famous gangster in the music industry kind of made them piece it up and they did this really kind of big, beautiful show. Um, but you know, we, we haven't gotten the sense that they're actually friends or anything, but it seems like the beef is largely behind them. Has there been any big reconciliations that have um, touched the hearts of the hip hop community? Uh, Common, who we mentioned before and Ice Cube, who we mentioned before were beefing at one point, which resulted in some incredible diss tracks um, that they were brought together by, uh, minister Louis Farrakhan. Okay. They met at his house and they shook hands and hugged and, and we all love that. We do love that. Yeah. If you had to write a diss track, who would it be about? Other than Lil Dicky? Yeah. <laughs> um, why don't you make a Lil Dicky diss track? Cause he's not going to answer it. And it's going to be that thing we just talked about where I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm left with my dark heart vulnerable and people are going to laugh at me. So let, it doesn't even have to be a hip hop person. Like, yeah, you're you got to write a diss track. Um, like like Madison Cawthorn. I would love I would love to just write. That's the guy 30, that was 32. like face fucking. Yeah, that guy. That guy is a real piece of shit, you know. I didn't. So that's who you would go after. Yeah, he just came to my mind. I really don't like him. You know, most or like, yeah, uh, 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 was it Marjorie Taylor Green? I tear her ass to shreds in a rap. The right, ma'am. This is amazing. I'm trying to think if there are specific people that like, but Lil Kim gets along with the younger generation of female stars. You say Little Kim does? Does she or not? Oh. Like, is there a reverence or like, would Cardi or Nikki go after? Because even with the comment, I'm sure Drake, a part of it was like, oh, I used to like you comment. Probably. I I, I think that Nikki and Kim did have some beef. I, I don't know where that 
stands now, but I think they did have some beef. I, I, I feel like there's something else with Kim and somebody new, but I don't remember. No, but it seems like it creates good music, fun sometimes, stories. Sometimes it does, yeah. Sometimes it creates the most inspired music a rapper has when they're going after somebody. This was very informative. Is there anything else that you should tell me so I'm a more informed person about hip-hop beefs? Drake and Pusha. Just, if you don't, if you haven't heard those songs, those are fun. Those are fun. So Drake and Pusha end up beefing because Drake and Kanye are beefing. Kanye, I think, took a shot at Drake on Pusha's album. So Drake goes at both of them. And then Pusha ends up making a song called The Life of Adidon, I think, or The Story of Adidon. It was basically just about Drake having a secret child. Oh, my God. No, I, of course I know about that. So that was yeah. Pusha? That was Pusha. And that ended the beef. And I didn't think it would, right? Because it's not like a great song, but it was just like one of those court of public opinion things like, oh, he made you look stupid. So you lose. And that was it. Drake didn't come back to him. No, apparently he had a fire diss track all lined up. And that same gangster who told him and Kanye to piece it up, told Drake not to put that song out. And then that was it. And now he's an active father. He is. He got bullied into it, apparently. <laughs> Who's known as, like, the biggest dick in hip-hop? Ooh, this guy named Wack 100, he's a big dick, but he's not really a rapper. He's like a exec, kind of, not an exec. He's like a street dude who got involved with the industry. He's like a Suge who talks more shit. The game talks a lot of shit. Who's a dick? Who's an asshole? Oh, Takashi. Takashi 69. He's a little, he's a little asshole. He's just a... He's he's the embodiment of the young troll generation, but like in hip hop form. So all he does is provoke people constantly. Yeah, I know people like that. They're the worst. Yeah, they're the worst. It's like they have nothing else to share with the world. So they have to bother you at all times. Mm -hmm. And who's known as the biggest sweetheart in hip hop? Me. Yeah, absolutely. It's me. I mean, I'm the biggest. If you know about me, you know, I'm the sweetest. On the on the more known tip, I actually I don't know if this because I, I think I wanted to say like Kendrick Lamar, maybe J. Cole. He's pretty sweet. Like he was he was in a beef with a guy and he like he made a diss song about him, but it was like really cautionary and about how he should like look out for himself and and you know, uh I don't know, it was nice. It was cute. Even though it was dissing him, it was like, Oh, he's kind of looking out for you. He cares. Okay. That's the biggest sweetheart. And who is your dream? hip-hop beef who would you love to see go head to head i would love to see kendrick lamar and drake finally go at it because there's been rumors of beef with them for years but neither one of them will ever actually like send a real shot at the other so i, I would love to hear them finally go at it amazing this has been awesome. Thank you for being vulnerable up top and then coming in with the history and the facts. Well, I'm glad we talked. Uh, if, if we didn't talk personally up top, then I wouldn't have had the strength to say that I don't like Little Dicky. On the, oh, OK, on the good. So thank you for that. <laughs> no, thank you. Where can people find you, watch you? What would you like people to know about you? You can just uh, uh, if you're if you're on the Twitters, you can catch me there. Mike underscore Eagle I'm hiding and quipping. That's all I do. Yeah, it's so annoying to like have to tell people. It's like, can't you just Google? <laughs> That's how I feel with the ticket links. It's like I need to do the ticket link and the yeah. date and where is it and what are doors? And it's like, 
Just go Google. Yeah. Why? How did I? How did I used to buy tickets to the Backstreet Boys with no information? <laughs> well, I would you know show what? up to the Dominics and I would wait in line at the Ticketmaster so and I fucking figured it out. It's like, but you know, back then there were these these magical things called promoters <laughs> that used to that used to work on behalf of the show, and they don't have them no more. Um, they just they expect us to do it. And the most annoying thing is is when you post about going to Nashville and then the person is like, when are you coming to St. Louis? And we're like, you asshole, I was there yesterday. Yeah, it's not, or yeah, we post some dates and it's like, what about this place? It's like, you don't think we want to go there too? <laughs> we can't just go wherever we want. There's like a whole business and venues and contracts and people mm -hmm. and favor. It's just like a fucking endless nightmare. Not really, but. I'm glad. I mean, it's it's rough. I mean, we we can say it. We can say it. we don't want to come off obnoxious like we we take any of it for granted. But it fucking sucks sometimes. Well, yeah, we're just like these creatives and all the business and all the minutia of like life, like makes it as difficult as possible. Like what I always hate to see is the exclusivity or like so you can't work at other things. You can only work here. It's like, fuck you. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> What do you mean? Why can't he be in this other TV show? Like, we're, it's it. All of that is very obnoxious to me. It's a bunch of bullshit. I hope it. All, I hope it all. It all breaks. But then there's somehow still opportunities for us to make money. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, that was an incredible episode. What did I tell you? I'm always right on the money. Our guests are incredible and they're going to keep on being fucking spectacular. And soon, yeah, we got to do some advice. We'll do some advice. Always call, text, email. You can't text, but maybe you can. Are you a friend? Hi. Um, anyways, uh, check out Open Mike Eagle. There's underscores on the Instagram. So it's open underscore Mike underscore Eagle. But you probably just knew what an underscore was but just in case i set it all up for you check out his music download the shit out of it um you know fucking take care of him take care of artists giving us amazing amazing goodness and thank you so much for him to being on the podcast i, I doubt he's gonna be listening but if you listened this far to yourself and me god bless and um see you all next week thank you so much Enemies is a headgum podcast. Trish Hadley is our executive producer, engineer, and editor. Katie Moose is our supervising producer from Headgum. Me, Lisa Traeger, I am also a producer. Hello. Thank you so much, Carly Jean Andrews, for the cover art. You're incredible. Jack Krause, thank you for the theme music. I love it. Please follow me on Instagram at either at Glitter Cheese or at Enemies Podcast. Tell us about your own enemies by emailing enemiesthepodcast at gmail.com or calling 323-677-1943. That was a HeadGum Podcast.